if you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 97. I serve as a youth pastor here and interact with the youth on a regular basis. I don't have to tell you about just how much the world has really taken over the thinking and the conversation of the common conversation of the youth of today. I can't stress that enough. We could have a whole session here discussing what that has become. How much the world, our society, has truly felt a culture shift from the things of God to the things of man in the slide of the postmodern thinkers. As a youth pastor, you see the front lines of this at times, and it grieves me. We have gone from a I-knew-who-I-was culture to a culture of you create who you want to be. And likewise, this has affected all areas of life and thought and stems from a shift in the most important area of understanding. Our understanding of authority. Our understanding of authority, ultimately. Ours now is a culture where media reigns and the people rejoice. The new father-son quality time is sitting across from one another both completely silent on their cell phones. We've become a culture where the 99-cent-only store is labeled as your Easter headquarters. Now, I, I understand. I, I get it. I see what they're doing. It's marketing. They're, they're talking about dye for eggs and colored grass for baskets. But for all intents and purposes, the Easter headquarters is the upper room. Easter headquarters is the cross or the empty tomb. Easter headquarters should be the church. Where the good news and the upper room, the good news of the empty tomb and the good news of the cross are proclaimed. Amen? Again, this shift has been a shift in authority. And this morning, I'd like to take some time to fix our minds on the authority of our majestic God as seen in the scriptures of Psalm 97. If you haven't yet, please open to Psalm 97 and look with me at verses 1 through 12, the entire psalm. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes before him and burns up his enemies roundabout. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols, who worship all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, Lord, are the most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. 
He preserves the souls of his saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Let's pray. Father, it is before you and you alone that we come this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for allowing our chest to thump. Thank you for allowing oxygen to go into our bloodstream completely apart from our abilities. Lord, may we stand here, may we sit here in awe of who you are this morning. Display your majesty for us in a way that moves us to praise. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. This, if you know me, is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. For reasons that are right before us. I love how gripping and strong the imagery is here. You can't escape it. I love how unlike all other scripture it is as it stands out with such gripping imagery. These verses are strong and and loud. They aim to reinstate godly fear and reverence in him to all who read it. In fact, all the Psalms are arranged into five groups. And this particular Psalm is in the fourth group. And the overarching theme of this group is the theme, the Lord reigns. If you'd like to learn more about that in our bookstore, we have some incredible pieces of material and you can learn all about that. Specifically, this Psalm 97 stands out in the group because it emphasizes, get this, the fierce, frightening, and awesome side of God's kingly rule. Oh, he loves us. But he is a God who has a love that also involves fierce, frightening, and awesome kingly rule. We have to come to grips with that. In this psalm, I see five displays of God's authority that I think we need to see, and we're going to look at them. His authority as sovereign, his authority over all creation, his authority over all other gods and rulers, his authority in perfect justice, and his authority over his own people. I'll say those again as we go through. The first one is here in the first verse. His authority as sovereign. Here we have in its most simple form a very clear declaration of the sovereignty of God. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. These words here are from the NIV version. I love how they articulate this verse. We teach here from the New King James Version, but I love the words used in the NIV for this particular verse. God reigns. God reigns. God reigns here means his sovereignty. He has absolute authority and rule over his creation. He reigns. Let all that is in the earth, everything that has been created, rejoice with praise to its maker. It's the only right response. May all of the earth, even the distant shores, rejoice, for he is our sovereign king, ruler of all, maker of heaven and earth. The sovereignty of God is a kingpin doctrine 
for believers. A kingpin doctrine of our faith. If there was just one little attribute about God that did not take him as a sovereign God, he would cease to be God at all together. He would cease to be God altogether. Arthur W. Pink shared, The sovereignty of God is the foundation of Christian theology. The center of gravity in the system of Christian truth. The sun around which all the lesser orbs are grouped. I love this opening verse. It sets the stage for the rest of the psalm as everything that follows will fall under this great truth. It will be a complement to this first main point. Our one God is sovereign. So rejoice with gladness and peace and heart. Next we see is his authority over all creation. Verses 2 through 6. These are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. As they sort of paint a picture for us. They they sort of give us some imagery. You can't read these words and not think of the picture. You can't read these words and not kind of have some of the imagery happen in your brain. So if you would give yourself to that, you'll see it here. These verses are, again, some of my favorite. uh, A canvas on my heart about what the presence of our God is like. Verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Wow. What amazingly colorful words. We don't talk like that. Someone needs to to paint a huge interpretation of this section of scripture. I'd love to see it. It'd be a magnificent tapestry. Somebody probably has. I just haven't found it yet. I haven't Googled it yet. What the psalmist is doing here is illustrating, trying to illustrate for us the majestic presence of God for us. The majestic presence of God. This section makes Psalm 97 the most unique compared to the others in its group. But the words are not unique. This isn't the only place where this happens. This is a retelling This is a retelling of who our God was, who our God is. These words are taken from other parts of Scripture. The words are taken from accounts of various theophanies or manifestations of God from past Jewish history. Times when God encountered man. Remember God's appearance to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. You can hear, you can hear the crossover here. It was a terrifying event for them. The text reads, I'll read it to you. Feel free to turn there, but I'm just going to go. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. I'll read it to you. See if you can also hear those colorful words, those word pictures, those images. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, Exodus 19, 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
Verse 17, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. You can hear the parallels to our verses here in Psalm 97, can you? And why does God use these kinds of words to describe his presence to us? Why does he do this? Why does he do it this way? Because there's nothing like it. There is nothing like the presence of our God. And people don't usually smoke and shoot lightnings when they meet each other. Well, the, we can get it. Yeah, bad example. Bad example. He's communicating something to us about his character. About who he really is. About his character. It is majestic. The same phenomena occurred when God appeared to Moses later on. I'm going to read through a couple sections here. You can try to chase me, but don't. It, it's just, I'm going to read them. Exodus 34, verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Also later to Isaiah. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Also in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Verse 10, a fiery steam issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is the presence of our God. Micah. Chapter 1, verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split like wax before the fire. Like waters poured down a steep place. Incredible imagery. Also in Psalm 18, verse 7. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Verse 8, smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Psalm 50, verse 3. 
our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around. Habakkuk, chapter three, verse three. God came from Taman, the holy one from Mount Paran. Selah, his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hands and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. You can't escape the picture this gives us of our God. The point of all these passages is that the presence of the true God is awesome. It is awesome. Awesome. Awe. Inspiring awe. Do we get that anymore? Do we, have we just lost that? Awe inspiring within us. You know, I I think it's one of our issues. I really do. I think it's one of our issues. We have lost our awe. People have lost their awe. In a digitally rich 12 frames a second YouTube downloading addicted Vimeo face-to-gram society, we're kind of burned out. We're kind of burned out. Kind of comfortably numb. Our tech keeps us just a few notches below awe. It's like, whoa, have you seen? And then have you, and then have you seen, and then have you seen, and have you seen, oh, and then I fail. (laughs) Our tech keeps us just just a few notches below awe. It's great, but then it's just not there. A few notches below awe. It's nothing like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Who's done it? Oh, you feel so strong. No, you feel like a gnat. You feel like the feet of a gnat. Right? You're just like, you don't go there to make big of yourself. Standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon or, or gazing upon El Cap in Yosemite. It's just, it's majestic. Or the maker of both of those the majestic God Almighty. We need to see him in Scripture, in the full display of his majesty. Awe-inspiring to the point of bone-shattering fear and trembling on the part of the worshiper. When God appeared at Sinai, all the people trembled. Even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Isaiah cried, woe is me, I am ruined. I am ruined. I am coming apart at my joints. For I am a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel fell face down. He fell face down, prostrate before the Lord. That's actually actually where we get the name for our youth ministry here at Reverence. Face down youth ministry. A youth passionate about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Daniel turned pale. Habakkuk wrote, I heard and my heart pounded. 
My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Our God is a consuming fire, said the author of Hebrews. Also later in Hebrews, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. My point here this morning, and the psalmist's point here is this. Where is our authority? Our ultimate authority. Is it in popular trends or Facebook polls? A winning campaign or a school board's approval or a Supreme Court ruling? No, not at all. It's none of these. Our Almighty is the Almighty, majestic, sovereign God. And in His Son, the Messenger Jesus Christ, through whom we have salvation, and who is the Word made flesh. This, this, this is our authority, our God, His Word for us. But it's not enough to just know this about Him. It's not enough to just know these things. We must come to revere him. We must come to revere him as God. Be set in awe of his majesty. That's what happens when we truly worship him. What should happen when we truly worship him. When you sing songs like some of the ones we just sang. When I survey the wonderful cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. If you really understand what you're singing right there, you have got to be in a place of awe. Worship is a place of awe. Worship isn't a song. The, the, the hidden churches in, Ch- in China don't sing hymns because they'll get caught. They'll be found. So they just, they'll read a psalm and they'll just listen and hang on every word. It's a position of the heart before God. They, they revere him. It's a position of the heart where they are in awe of their God. It's not enough to just know this about him. We must revere him as God. We must be in awe of him. With reverent, godly fear. Not the fear of a punisher, but the fear of a loving father. This is missing in our culture. This is missing in our culture. And they're not going to find it anywhere but in here. This is missing in our culture. Proverbs 1.7, you guys know this verse? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's got to be our starting place. It's got to be our starting place. We must think biblically. We must have a fear of the Lord. In our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, that we might influence our societies and culture to the things of our almighty, majestic God because we fear him. I ask teenagers a lot of questions. Sometimes I'll ask them questions like, how many times this past week did your family pray together? Outside of Sunday. 
How many times did a Bible get opened? How many times this week did someone encourage you with scripture and support you with prayer? You would be astounded at some of the answers I get. And it'd be one thing if these are people that weren't believers or maybe they were from a home that didn't believe in Christ for their salvation, but I think a lot of times raising your kids biblically is legitimized by dropping your kid off on Tuesday night. I'm not going to go into that a whole lot, but, but I think there's something for us to see there. I'm not trying to just knock us upside the head. Every one of that's me. I raise my hand. We have to be given to this. We have to be set in awe of our God. We have to realize his authority in all areas of our lives. Revering him starts with the fear of the Lord. Do we have a reverent, godly fear for him? Do you? Do we have a reverent, godly fear for him? This goes against a culture that sees Jesus as my homeboy. I'll never forget the first time I saw that hat. Make no mistake, Jesus is my savior. Amen? When we go to be with him, I think it's fair to say, no one will greet the king of kings and the lord of lords with sub homeboy. That's not going to happen if we're able to speak at all. We are so quick to think about God just as though he was one of us. He's a lateral. Rather, God stands alone. There is none like him. There is none like him. This is known as the solitariness of God. Other theologians call it the otherness of God. I think they just ran out of terms. We don't even know what to call that. He's not like us. He's some other. So he's it's the otherness of God. You guys agree? Okay, I agree. Otherness of God. It's a great name for that. But it's true. There is nothing like him. There is no other like him. He is other than us. This is the otherness of God. May we revere him as the one true God that he is. God is solitary in his excellency. Exodus 15, verse 11, after the people were saved, after the Red Sea parted and they walked through and it closed upon their enemies, they sang a song of praise. They sang a song of worship, rejoicing in the Lord. And they said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise as doing wonders? And we rejoice here this morning that there is none. There is none like him. That leads us to the next part. His authority over all other gods and rulers, which is verse seven by itself. All who worship images are put to shame. Those who boast in idols worship him, all you gods. There is no other God. There is no other God. All worship and praise is due his name. You remember when Moses came down from Sinai and found the people after receiving the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. He he comes down and God sends him down. You get a sense that God knows what's happening back in the camp. What does he find them doing? What does he find them doing? He had been gone for 40 days. They thought, well, we're not sure where he went. Maybe we won't see him for a while. You know, he's off with God. Why don't we make one? Whoa. 
And so they do. They pull together, they pull together their gold. They mold a golden calf and they worship it. They sacrifice offerings to it. They literally got bored and started worshiping this piece of art. As crazy as that sounds, as ridiculous as that seems, this is something we do all the time. There are many gods to serve in this life. The God of schedule. The God of TV. The God of alcohol. The God of sex. The God of money. The God of relationships. The God of degrees. Cell phones. Friend requests. Health and fitness. I'm working on that one. The psalmist is calling for sober thought to lay down these idols that have taken the place of God in our lives. That doesn't belong there. He belongs there. Sorry, here. That doesn't belong there. He belongs here. This is the only only thing that will fit in that spot. Well, though we try to jam things in there all the time. We're bad at that game. You know, the little blue ball with the square and the shape and the triangle. We're horrible. It doesn't belong there. Only he fits here perfectly. The psalmist is calling for that sober thought to lay down these idols that have taken the place of God in our lives, his rightful place of ultimate authority in our lives, and to worship him alone, the only true God. His authority in perfect justice, verse 8. Zion hears and rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Hear what he's saying here. This, these are voice, verses of rejoicing. Zion hears and rejoices. And the villages of Judah, he's saying, the people of God rejoice because of your judgments. This is pointing to the end. This is looking to the end. There may not be a whole lot of happy rejoicing in this moment, but we know how it ends. He's shown us. He's hit fast forward on the DVD. We know how the movie ends. We get to know the end from the beginning. We get to know that we will be with him for all eternity in heaven. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we're not hoping that happens. We're praying about something that is inevitable. We're praying for something that he will accomplish according to his will. It will be done. That is incredible hope for us. That is incredible joy for us. Brother, sister, if it's hard for you right now, rejoice. Grab your hope, which is only in him, because it ends well for you. That's what he's saying here. Verse 9, for you, O Lord, for you, O Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Reiterating, reiterating his authority. You are exalted far above all gods. God's people rejoice. The picture here is of the rejoicing that will happen when Christ comes and establishes his perfect justice and rule in perfect righteousness. We don't have this perfect justice now. Rather, injustice reigns on the earth. The strong oppress the weak. The guilty cheat the innocent. 
The murderers go free. Criminals go unpunished. But when Jesus comes and establishes his perfect justice, there will be much rejoicing. There will be much rejoicing for the righteous. There will be much rejoicing for the righteous. And our last section here for this morning. And his authority over all his own people. Verses 10 through 12. Let those who love the Lord hate evil. For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is shed upon the righteous and joy on the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This final stanza is an encouragement to all people to hold fast to their hope. To hold fast to their hope. Knowing that God will remain faithful to them and protect them as they do. We're told to do two things. Hate evil and rejoice in the Lord. Hate evil. Hate evil. You ain't got to break that down. That's pretty simple, right? I mean, that's very clear. Like, I don't need to go into like some entitled study. Hate evil. Hate it. Well, I'm not really sure what evil is. No, we do. We know what evil is. If there's one on the fence, come talk to us. We know what evil is. But do we hate it? Do we hate it? Sometimes that's the harder question. Hate evil and rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise his holy name. This is where the psalmist ends. It began by calling upon the people of the whole earth to rejoice in God's rule. In verse 1, to worship him for he is our sovereign God. And it ends by calling us to lead the way in this worship. Did you see that? It starts by saying, worship him, give him the authority. And it ends by saying, lead the way in that worship. Those of you who are the righteous, those of you who know him, those of you who have had your lives changed, those of you that have had your heart removed and a new heart put in, those of you who will be with him for all eternity in heaven, lead the way in this worship. Lead the way in this worship. May we ever be an example of his righteousness to his generation and to the next by ascribing to him the proper authority he has in this world. And that's all authority. All authority. And this authority has been passed down to the earth through Christ. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read it. You guys know these verses? This is a great commission. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have this great commission. It is ours. It is for us. It is what Jesus calls us to as believers, as those that know him. Listen to what it says. And Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples there, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There's the authority. 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And right before he leaves, these are his last words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, here's the best part. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. It's not just us. It's not just us, guys. It's Christ in and through us. It's the Holy Spirit he placed inside of you. It's his ability, not ours. It's his strength, not ours. It's his words in that moment of, I hope I say the right thing, not ours. The world is dark and we need to shine. But we need to shine with the light that he reflects off of us from himself. Let me close by sharing this quote from the Puritan Thomas Watson. We must know the majesty and holiness of God so that we may be deeply affected with reverence when we come before him. I'm going to read that again. We must know the majesty and holiness of God so that we may be deeply affected with reverence when we come before him. This has been a time of worship, studying his word, being set in awe of who he is. We opened with a time of worship, but it was in song, being set in awe of him through the words that we sang to him. It'd be a very different thing if we're looking at each other singing these words, looking at each other saying, when I survey the cross, you know, on which the Prince of Glory died, that's a different kind of worship service. We see him and him alone. We worship him in song. We worship him in the study of his word because it's a position of our heart being set in awe of who he is. We're gonna close now with a few more songs. And I pray that all of this happens now. That we see him and him alone. That we can literally just be in awe of who he is. Amen. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, your authority in our lives. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that you didn't drop us off here and deliver us, that we might figure things out, but that you intervened and you gave us yourself. You desire for us to have knowledge of you because you desire for our joy to be full. You've given us Christ. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You care for us ultimately because we are yours. You've adopted us into your family because of that great love with which you love us. Father, thank you. Be glorified now as we close our time this morning. Being set in awe of who you are as we think about and reflect upon all that you have shown us in your truth. Be glorified in the praises of your people now, Lord. We pray, amen.